So uh, if you think I look funny, raise your hand. I, I, I don't see you, I promise. Uh, if, if you think I look funny, that's what I said. I can still hear you. Uh, maybe, maybe. I'm getting old. Uh, so, 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 yeah, sorry. Uh, so if you uh, feel like this, how, how, if you feel like I feel right now, you can't see anything but black, uh, how likely are you to take the next step? We, we're starting this series about training for godliness, and last week I mentioned m- many times that this is just a process of taking the next step, the next step, the next step. But if you aren't sure where you stand currently, like if you don't know what surrounds you, like I don't know what surrounds me, uh, I'm, I'm not eager to walk too far this way or too far this way or back. I'm going to hit music stuff. Our stage isn't that big, uh, and I don't want to fall. Uh, but it, it just matters what surrounds you. It matters that you know where you are. You have to know where you are in order to confidently take next steps. So, yeah, I kind of drifted backwards, I, I feel like, as I had that on. Um, but, but that's the point of today. We need to take the next step. We want to take, if, you, if you're a believer in Jesus, you really do want to take the next step. You really do believe that even if the next step is hard, that's what's best for you. Because you've entrusted your life to him. So you want to take the next step. It's really important that you, you realize, yes, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you don't see, but that doesn't mean you're walking around with a blindfold on. You actually know what matters most. You can see things clearly. Living a life of faith in Jesus, you can see the things that matter most, most clearly. You can see who God is. You can see who you are. And no, I don't see it perfectly, but we do see it. And we need to know where we stand, especially where we stand with God, if we ever have any hope any expectation of, of seriously taking next steps. So, so justification is kind of the big churchy word for knowing where you stand with God. Justification means that God has made you right with him. You're in right relationship with God. You're justified. There's nothing that God will hold against you on judgment day. There's nothing that God holds against you right now. You're, you're totally made right with God. So, so if you've ever offended uh, your spouse or a friend, have you ever felt that sense of relief when you get forgiveness and when they extend that forgiveness continually? They don't hold your offense over you. That, that's just a small picture. It's a, it's a helpful picture because we, we feel it, but it's a small picture of what God's forgiveness grants us because our, our offense is so much greater <laughs> towards God than anything we've ever done towards someone else. Um, and his forgiveness is once for all. It, it, it's, it is truly perfect forgiveness. It's, it's hard to comprehend. So today I'm going to tell us a story uh, to, from, from the gospel, uh, Luke 7, to, 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 to communicate that. But, but first I want us to look at this chart. I, I find this chart helpful. I'm a charts guy. Uh, but charts have faults, so don't overanalyze it. What we're, looking, we're looking at justification today in light of sanctification. So sanctification is just, it's just taking that next step. It's that process that we started talking about last week. But what I want to say this week, uh, what I want the, just to, for you to walk away with is how 
your justification, how, how, how you're standing, like where you stand with God and knowing where you stand with God, how important that is in this process. It's really important that you know where you stand with God before you take the next step or the next step after that or the next step after that. You have to know where you stand. Otherwise, you're just going to be like me, kind of fumbling around with a blindfold on and looking like a fool. <laughs> but so we're, we're going to talk about justification today. And that black line where the red line goes straight up, that black line is supposed to represent like uh, we are unapproved by God. We're, we're unforgiven by God on the bottom side of it. But then we are forgiven, totally approved, innocent, innocent in God's sight. We, we actually have the righteousness of Christ when God looks at us above that black line. And, and so, so you might be thinking, well, how, how do you go from below to above that black line? By putting your faith in Jesus. Um, and we'll talk about that some today. But I, uh, I just want to jump into the story. Luke chapter 7. Uh, it's an incredible story. So uh, I'll, I'll read through it. I might pause to explain some things. Uh, if there's anyone here who doesn't have a church background, I don't, I don't want you to get lost in this story because it, it applies to every single person in this room and every single person that's breathing outside of this room. Luke 7. Beginning in verse 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees, Pharisee was the most religious person of Jesus' day. They were highly esteemed as living a more righteous life, a more right life than anyone else. So when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to this Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped his feet with her hair, kissed his feet, and poured perfume on his feet. If feet gross you out, Feet were even grosser in first century because they walked in sandals, dirt roads. And this was a common thing that you should clean your guests' feet before you recline at the table because they were reclining and the feet weren't that far from the food. So, you know, you, you, you know if you think it's nasty that people don't wash their hands, just imagine dirty feet close to the food. Um, th this was a common thing, but she's, she's elegantly and extravagantly cleaning his feet with her tears and with this expensive perfume. Then we pick up in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus to dinner, when he saw this, the Pharisee said in his mind, he said this to himself, not out loud, but he said, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. The Pharisee Simon said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed this moneylender 500 denarii, a lot of money, and the other 50, you know, some money, but not nearly as much as 500. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so the moneylender forgave the debts of both people. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman, but he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, 
but she wet my feet with her tears. And he, he, she wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put any oil on my head, kind of another customary thing for them at that time, but she's poured oil on my feet, the dirty part. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven her as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests, the other dinner party guests, began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So from this story, I want us to look at three ways that God's love, his his forgiving love, changes us. Three ways that us being made right with God actually impacts the way that we take steps forward in our life and in our walk of faith with Jesus. And the first one, if you you don't carry away anything else from this message, just hear this. Whoever's been forgiven little, loves little. Whoever's been forgiven much, loves much. And so, okay, I'll take that away, but what does that mean, Ben? Well, it means, how do you look at the magnitude of the forgiveness God has expressed and God has displayed towards you? Big deal? Some days, big deal? Not really? How much have you been forgiven? That fuels your love. Your, your love comes from that, that understanding that framework. And so why we take the next step, it's, it's always out of gratitude. This, this, this gratefulness and, and thankfulness for the grace that God has shown in forgiving us. And, and love, love doesn't just happen. <laughs> I think oftentimes in our culture and in the movies we see, it, it, it demonstrates love as people falling in love. Uh, it, just, it just happens. They see each other and they're in love. Interest happens. Attraction happens, but you don't really fall in love. You climb into love. Love is a series of choices built on a framework. And this framework, our love for God, is what this story is saying is, if you want to love God much, you have to first acknowledge you've been forgiven much. And so one way that we grow is by remembering how great our need is, how much we need Jesus today. And we do that by simply asking the question, how much have I been forgiven by God? And it's good to think generally. I think it's even more helpful to think specifically. How has God forgiven me? And, and you don't do this to beat yourself up, but to rightly build up the knowledge of God's love for you. This is what training looks like. Remembering, okay, God has loved me by forgiving me that and that, and that, and that. Therefore, the only logical response is that I love him in response to his forgiving love for me. And I think another, another implication of this that it's really, it's really easy to lose track of is nobody is too far gone. Everybody with a breath, there's still hope. This lady was known as a sinner, but... 
she wasn't too far gone in Jesus' eyes. And so as you think through the people that you, you would least expect to ever express interest in Christ, just remember, uh, they're not too far gone. Whoever's been forgiven much loves much. But those who don't think that they need it, those who don't think they really need forgiveness that much, they're the ones who, like the Pharisee, are going to be challenged by this teaching. So that's the first way that God's forgiving love changes us is is forgiveness and, and love are directly tied to each other. Forgiven much and you love much. Forgiven little, you love little. The second way that God's love uh, changes us is it's not earned. And we talked about this last week. Grace, grace is opposed to earning. has nothing to do with earning. And so when Jesus says at the end of this story, your faith has saved you, uh, I, think, I think we can easily have a wrong idea that, oh, it's, it's the quality of my faith, like how good my faith is. It's the amount of my faith, how long I've believed it's not. It's none of that. Uh, I talked to a guy this week, and uh, and he said, and he asked me, "Hey, do you know this, or is it on faith?" <laughs> and I said, "Yes, I know it, and yes, it's on faith. Um, knowledge and faith are not opposed to each other." Think this isn't a sermon about that, but think about that relationship sometime. Knowledge and faith. How do you know anything? That's that's a freebie. Just think about that. The demons say they believe God exists and they shudder at that reality. Real, real faith drives real action. Everybody is believing something. Everybody believes something all the time. And so what, what, what Jesus means when he says your faith has saved you to that woman, it's the one who she put her faith in. She was forgiven. Make sure I'm not, yeah, I'm not getting ahead of my notes. This is amazing to me. She was forgiven far before she showed up. She was not forgiven because she wet Jesus' uh, feet with her tears, not because she bought this expensive perfume. That would be like buying God's love. Nobody can do that. She was forgiven because of the one she put her faith in. She was forgiven before she heard the words from Jesus, you're forgiven. When we're justified by God, it's, it's a mysterious thing, it's a beautiful, it's a wondrous thing, it's a free gift. She put her faith in Jesus before she even could know by experience what his response would be. But she, she put her faith in Christ. And so if you have this free gift of God's love, grow it, cultivate it. Make choices based on it. Make, make it your training ground. You know, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is you know where you stand. So don't be afraid to take the next step. Okay, that, that's the whole crux of this message. You know where you stand. You're secure. If you mess up, God's not gonna love you any less. And if you do super well, God's not gonna love you anymore. He's going to love you with the same love that he's had for the son before the foundation of the world. That's another thing worth chewing on. 
The third way that God's love changes us that I see in this story is, is the future freedom that it invites us into. It offers us future freedom. So the last words that Jesus said, you know, he said, your faith has saved you. The one you put your confidence in has saved you. Now go in peace. This woman came to Jesus with anything but a peaceful life. She was desperate. She, the, the chaos of her life was driven by the sin that reigned. The sin was king in her life. But then Jesus became king when she turned away and trusted him. And when Jesus is king, there's always a, free, a, a future of freedom being offered. Now, now don't hear that, that this is easy. Don't think this happens automatically. But this is the process of taking the next step, the process of training that each and every person is being invited into as you're being invited into relationship with Jesus. And it's, it's hard to keep this perspective, this perspective that Jesus is inviting us in to a, a future of freedom. I mean, even this, like a couple weeks ago, I got some, some good news that, you know, kind of like perked me up and gave me energy for like most of the week. <laughs> but then by the end of the week, it was like it, it had lost its impact on me. Um, my future wasn't as significantly changed as I'd originally felt and envisioned but this this future freedom that we can go in peace that we can learn to sin less and less and less and and more than sinning less to increasingly experience and obey God grow in relationship with him that that's possible but it just takes training you have to continually realign your perspective I have to do this myself realign your perspective with what's true so this doesn't mean perfection. This means direction. In this life, training is about direction, not perfection. And we talked about this last week. If you're on the bench press and you're training to get stronger, it's a good thing when you can't lift that bar up anymore. That means you've gone as far as you can. And the, the, the idea behind training is that next time you can get a few more reps out before you're stuck <laughs> and you've gone as far as you can. That, that's, that's how you grow. But part of keeping the right perspective is just remembering that, that watershed moment. Rem remembering the watershed moment for this woman, it was when Jesus forgave her. When, when she knew, because Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, and I just want to ask, do you know that's happened in your life? Do you know you're secure? Do you know where you stand with God? And the only way that you'll know is because of what Christ has done for you and not because of what you've done. And if you do know, let that foundation, let that reference point be the basis for taking steps forward, taking next steps and if you don't know, why not today? Secure relationship with God is available through trusting Jesus. Secure and unchanging relationship with God. All you have to do is 
like this woman, say, look, sin has been the king of my life. I've been living life my way. No more. I want Jesus to be my king. I believe he died for me and therefore paid for all my sins. And I believe that he's alive, meaning that he can actually be a functional and, and not more than functional, the supreme leader of my life because he's alive. If you, if you tell God that, I'm confident that his spirit will come into your life and he will start leading you. And, and you'll need to tell other people. You shouldn't keep it to yourself because you'll need help. We all need help. But it's available. It's available to the people that you think would never be interested. And then, I, I, I fi- finally, I want, I want to tie this passage back into the gospel. Um, when they said at the end, who is this man? Who's this man who even forgives sins? What they're really asking is how. How could he possibly forgive debts? Well, in the story that Jesus told about a moneylender, Jesus is the moneylender. And he doesn't just throw the debt away. He doesn't just crumple it up and, you know, like trash it. He actually pays the debt. That's how the world works. Debts just just don't go away. They have to get paid down. And he paid it on the cross. Jesus was a better person than the Pharisee. He's a better person than society's best person. But unlike the Pharisee, he welcomed. He, he, Jesus welcomed the sinner and he welcomes us at great expense to himself. The woman, the woman went to great expenses to honor Jesus. Jesus went to far greater expenses to honor us, to forgive us, to pay for our sin. It was a sacrifice of love. And he did that not because we have anything like she, the woman thought, Jesus has something I need. We don't have anything he needs. That's just the type of person he is. And w- w- don't you want to be around the type of person like that? Be influenced by that type of person? Become more like that type of person? That's what training for godliness is all about. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And so today we're going to partake of communion together. And, and in so doing, we're remembering his payment, his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. We're also celebrating his life, the fact that he is alive. We're proclaiming his death, knowing that he's coming back. And we're committing, in the meantime, to living lives of training so don't, don't be confused. This is not about everyone who comes up and partakes this is, is, is perfect, but they're covered by the perfect person. Okay, so if you're a Christian, come on up um, and, and partake of communion. This is, this is not about perfection. It's about a set direction, and this is something that we do together. This is something that God has ordained his people to do together as a sign of unity. So some music is going to play, and like I said, even if you trusted Christ today in your heart for the first time, 
we welcome you to come forward and partake of the elements or to pick them up and then I'll lead us and we'll, we'll take them together.